Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're new with us this morning, the way that uh, we usually go about things in here is we study verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it. That way we don't just talk about the biblical topics we like, and we also don't just get hung up on the cultural topics of the day. Uh, We let God's Word guide what we think about, what we talk about, the popular passages, the hard passages, all of the above. Uh, And what we find over and again, and if you stick around I think you'll find, is that God's Word is extremely relevant to the cultural topics of the day, and we're glad to talk about those topics uh, when they naturally arise out of our text. So, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Follow as I read... Ephesians 4:29 through 32. This is the word of God. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we're in the second half of Ephesians, uh, and this half of the letter is filled with commands for us to do. So... Over and over again, I think we need to remind ourselves of some of the right and wrong ways to view these commands. Uh, There are those that think that if we just keep the commands of God, then God will love us. You know, just keep going that direction, and once we get there, if the good outweighs the bad, then God will know that we've tried hard and He will save us. That is not right. Uh, No one has kept the commands of God. No one except Jesus. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that creates an eternal problem for everyone except Jesus. Because God is holy and He knows no sin. And even one sin separates us from God and destines us to eternal destruction under His righteous wrath. And there's nothing we can do to make it up to Him. Because even our best works are soaked in sin and the requirement before God to be in fellowship with God is that we be completely sinless. That we be perfect and spotless and blameless and righteous. Now, the good news is that God so loved us that He sent Jesus to live and to die in our place. He lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life in perfect obedience to God's commands, the only one who has ever done that. And He died on a cross, a death that He did not have to die, but chose to die as our substitute. He died in our place. He paid for every last one of our sins. He then rose from the dead, securing His victory over sin and over sin's penalty, death. And all who believe this, are forgiven their sin debt and credited, clothed with Jesus' righteousness, reconciled to God the Father forever, invited into, adopted into His family forever. 
And given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fact that we are His. So, one wrong way to view these commands is to think that if we keep them, then God will love us and then save us. If you're going that route, you had better keep them perfectly and you've already fallen miserably short of that, so if you're going that route, now's a good time to pick a new route. The right way to view these commands is that God has given salvation in Christ as a gift. We didn't keep the commands. Jesus did. And then He died in our place for not having kept them. To all who believe that He died in your place, we get the Holy Spirit. And not only as the guarantee of the fact that we are indeed saved, but also to empower us to do what we once could not do. God recreates us in Christ for to return to the original purposes that He created us for, which is keep the commands. Not as a way to earn anything from God, but as a way to glorify Him in, in working out the salvation that He's given to us. Uh, we glorify Him because He saves us and He gives us the Spirit to transform us to obey Him. And so we, when we do that, He is glorified. So then, as saved men and women, we go back to the commands believing that our right standing with God depends not on us keeping them, but understanding also that the very purpose for which He saved us is to glorify Him by doing what we once could not do, walking according to His commands. We will fall. Uh, We will fall often. Over and again, we return to Jesus to be refreshed in the fact that He kept them. He died for us. We're forgiven for all of our sins. And over and again, we turn back to the commands as the way that God has designed for us to follow Jesus, giving our lives to Him in obedience, in gratitude uh, for what He's done for us, even as uh, evidence that we truly have received His grace and mercy, that we truly do love Him. Jesus said, do you love me? Keep my commands. So with that in mind, let's jump into these commands in Ephesians 4, 29-32. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, um, I know a thing or two about corrupt talk. Uh, There was a time in my life, believe it or not, where every other word or more was the F word. Um, But notice that this isn't just talking about corrupt talk. We're talking about talk that does some corrupting. So one thing this tells me is that when that time in my life when every other word was the F word, that wasn't just talk that was corrupt, that was talk that was corrupting others. Corrupt talk doesn't just float off into the clouds, it sticks in people um, and, and rots them. That's, uh, remember the context here, one of the main themes throughout this chapter is the importance of unity in the body of Christ. God didn't just save us as individuals. He joined us together as His body on earth so that we can reflect Him. And a key ingredient to reflecting Christ on earth is that we you know, love one another, maintain unity with one another, whether in our family, our church family, the larger church family and all that. The Greek word that's used here talking about corrupting talk is the same word that would be used for rotting fruit. So the point is that our corrupting talk with one another, it rots the other person. Uh, It destroys them. It not only corrupts us, it does that, but it also corrupts the other person as well. 
so what are some examples of corrupting talk? We get that in our passage. Uh, we get some clues in verse 29 and then a list in verse 31. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, uh, the kind of talk we're talking about builds up. It doesn't condescend or tear down. Uh, the kind of talk we're talking about fits the occasion. It is careful and timely, not um, you know loose and uh, wayward. The kind of talk we're talking about gives grace, doesn't try to punish. And uh, so often we do that with our words, don't we? Certainly perverse talk is included, like using the F word all the time or whatever. But also these examples in verse 31. Uh, bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So here again, bitterness doesn't just hurt you. It does that. But it also hurts others. It corrupts others. It rots others. <clears throat> you may have been wronged. You may be hurt. Jesus calls us to Himself to deal with those things. He will help us. He will take care of us. And one of the things that He does right away is He tells us we have to deal with that bitterness uh, that's going around inside of us because it will corrupt us, but it will also spew out onto others and, and corrupt them as well. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Uh, we talked about this at length in verse 26, but just a quick refresh. Even if your anger is righteous anger, even if it's right in, in the beginning, uh, righteous anger is like the manna that was given to the Israelites, and it goes bad overnight. And so, uh, well, and really, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have much righteous anger. I have the other kind. Um, and if you're wondering what clamor is, it's just loud, angry shouting. Uh, might sound familiar to someone. But apparently, sinful anger is a big problem because we're warned against it in many different forms here and we're only a couple verses removed from verse 26 where we went into it in great detail there. So whether it's just a general abiding anger that stays underneath the surface or whether it's in fits of rage or clamor, it has to die because all forms of anger, they corrupt us and they corrupt others. Well, how do we kill it? I'm eat up with it. How do you kill that? I think that's one of the things I'm going to try to at least make some headway in today. Um, start simply by confessing it as sin. You know, and not just the outbursts, and we'll get to this in a second, but those desires. Um, even when they crop up and you notice them and you look at that person across the room and you're like, why can't I stand them? You know, um, I can't believe it. it's like dating back to something they said three years ago or whatever. But uh, dealing with it then, confessing it as sin, confessing it uh, to God and confessing to the person that you spewed on, confessing it every time. And call it what God calls it. Uh, maybe that's one of our hindrances in true repentance. We, we call it losing our cool. God calls it bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Or how about meditating on this, trying to make headway and walking in the newness of life? Um, the only one with truly righteous anger and wrath is God. And do you know what He did with all of His anger concerning you in your sin? 
The big word for it is that Jesus propitiated it. Which means, He took it on Himself and He removed it forever away from you. As far as the east is from the west, there is no more wrath for the children of God. So in light of that, how can we continue to pour out our sinful anger and wrath and clamor on others, particularly those that are children of God, uh, particularly those for whom He has removed His wrath as far as the east is from the west? The point is, if the Lord could figure out a way to deal with His wrath concerning you and me, and His wrath is infinitely hotter and infinitely more deserved than all of ours put together. If He could figure out what to do with His for our good, then He can figure out what to do with yours, with ours. So take it to Him. Confess it to Him. Confess it, calling it what He calls it. Plead for Him to take it from you. Continue to confess it as the wretched sin that it is, corrupting you, corrupting others that we spew it on, Continue to depend on the Lord for His strength to walk in the newness of life, to put off the old and put on the new. And then trust Him and follow Him and have confidence in the fact that He's given us the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's given us the capacity to be gentle and patient and kind and loving and self-controlled. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Put away bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, Slander. Slander is a close cousin of gossip. Uh, gossip, I guess, speaking negatively about someone behind their back. Slander would be speak, speaking falsely about someone, uh, whether behind their back or to their face. Um, one area that I know I'm susceptible to this, and you may relate, particularly if you read blogs and stuff like that, is uh, speaking about other Christian sins that are broadcast on the Internet. You know, we read an article, we think we have all the facts, it's pretty much 100% guaranteed that we don't, uh, which leads, I think, many Christians to go about slandering other Christians, maybe not to them, but in their communities, uh, which ultimately, I think, just contributes, even if a slow leak, it contributes to further breakdown in the body of Christ and further salt on God's glory. Finally, put away malice. Malice is like the root of all of these. Uh, Malice is that intention or desire in our hearts to do evil. And this is pretty telling in our fight against sin because we don't just need to stop the outbursts, as I said a minute ago. We don't just need to deal with that anger that rumbles under the surface that we know is there and we see you know, like a geyser come up every once in a while or a lot. Uh, We need to get all the way down to where the issues start So we have to repent of our wicked desires and evil intentions that actually we just want to harm people and we just want to win. And, um, you know, that, again, in true repentance, I think naming it what it is, Lord, not only do I have these fits of rage and this anger and clamor and wrath, but I have this malice. I have this thing inside of me that just deep-seated desires. And I want to call it what it is and I want you to poison the roots of my anger and wrath and clamor and slander and bitterness because that's where the root lies in our malice um, down there in our wicked desires and intentions. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions so far? 
Okay, look at, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just thinking, um, I think some of the areas that it can come up in, in my world would be, um, you know, the humble brag, mm-hmm. you know, and then I think that can corrupt other people mm-hmm. and, like, think that you have it all together mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I guess that comes across with other forms of communication, like social media and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, we were talking yesterday with some friends and uh, people who are angry and they think, well, I just got to say, well, it's like, you know, you can't, you can't fault me for speaking my mind or whatever yeah. like that. And kind of take that stance and this righteousness that we have. And um, I don't know, I guess for clarification and just my thought, is this for, is he talking about with uh, within the body of Christ? Well, I think I think it extends out, but you know, one of the main contexts in this passage is certainly our relationships in the body of Christ. Where I think um, it's you know probably more prone to come up because of proximity. It's where our closer relationships are and things like that. Oftentimes, so uh, whether within families or church family, or yeah, and I think on both sides, one that person that's angry and we're just going to give vent. I mean, we've all been there, and I think that this is extremely helpful to say, no, this is one of the things we have to put off in all of its different forms. We have to get to the root of it, and it corrupts other people when we vent. Even if they weren't in it initially, now they're in it, and they're being corrupted by it. But also, the first example you use, I, don't, I mean, I people get under my skin, and little things, the humble brag or whatever it is, and, you know... Those things crop up. It's just there. We're, you know, uh, it's like oil just constantly pumping from the source of our flesh, and little things can just turn into big things overnight. And so, it's not that the humble brag isn't wrong; uh, it is. But I guess we have to. I mean, you know, spec or log, not spec. Deal with the log. Maybe then we can see their spec better or whatever. Well, I can just see how it would affect me, and I'm assuming it would affect others, you know, just as much as gossip and, like, what it does to you. Yeah, no doubt. And no doubt. I guess my question about within the body of Christ or not, but to approach situations with tenderheartedness and without anger to the world when it comes to topics that are against our religious beliefs. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, and I think that's one of the things that... Uh, has so often not been done. I think it's one of the things that takes uh, tender care and thought in order to be able to think through, okay, I'm going to have these convictions that are opposed to certain things, and yet how do I compassionately love the lost and you know, not turn this into a political argument, but loving my neighbor? That's a good point. All right, look at verse 30. Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. First, what does the fact that the Holy Spirit gets grieved tell us about Him? That's one of the things it tells us about Him. Uh, what else? He's emotional. Ah, well what does that tell us about Him? He's a person, you know. I just the Holy Spirit is not an it, and uh, I think we often don't don't know what to do with him. Sorry. 
Right, yeah. We're, we won't go there. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of God. And uh, one God, three persons. One God who has revealed Himself in the masculine gender throughout the Scriptures. So we'll just go with that. Uh, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which is fine, but... So, okay, would you say it's better to call the Holy Spirit an it or a he? Okay. Because I'm a guy. Yeah, well, no, I just... The the Holy Spirit is a person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And Josh can ask or answer no more questions. Um, All right. Also, the Holy Spirit is grieved over our sin. Um, You know, I was a part of a conversation this week. There were two sets of parents. They were talking about, they have adult children. They were talking about decisions that their children have made. Um... These are great, solid folks, and you know some are just unwise, some are just flat sinful, and they were grieved. I mean, the look on their face was so heavy and so grieved, and the, one of the men said, you know, throughout this process, there's just a big part of me that has died. Um, that's grieved, you know? He's, he's grieved over his children's sin, and uh, likewise, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved over our sin. So, think about it. We've talked about corrupting talk with other Christians, uh, whether family, church family, broader church family. Whether we lash out uh, at them or gossip about them behind their back or whatever it is. Uh, we pour out our wrath on someone for whom God has removed His wrath. We say all kinds of shameful things to or about someone for whom Jesus has covered their shame, we tear down those whom God has called us to build up. Not only are they rotted by our corrupting talk, but the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, and He is grieved like that Father. He is grieved when we sin against them. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and this is to David's point. Um, He's also grieved when we resist His leadership in in the new life in Christ in order to return to the old ways. You know, uh, He doesn't ever leave us. And so, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, gossip, malice, you name it, these have no place in the Christian life and the Holy Spirit will not let you keep them peacefully. He will convict us of our sin and He will remind us even before... We're about to say what we're about to say. He will give us a way out every time. That's a Bible promise. And uh, He will also, I think, remind us of an alternate response. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Of course, this doesn't just apply to sins of anger. We're prone to wander into all kinds of sin. Um, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, a couple ways we grieve Him by sinning against others that He dwells inside by sinning against anyone. Everyone's made in the image of God, whether Christian or non-Christian. Uh, we, we grieve Him by resisting His conviction as He prods us uh, to obedience. Moving on in the text, what does it mean that we were sealed uh, by Him, by the Holy Spirit, for the day of redemption? We saw this language in Ephesians 1. 
It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So think about it this way. One thing this means, that we're sealed with the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment in us for the gift of our salvation. Uh, The full inheritance of the gift does not come until we get to heaven, but He's given us the down payment for that gift, and He's good for the rest. The Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit will not be taken away. It's a done deal. God does not renege on His commitments. Um, So think about a couple of the implications that we've been talking about. Inevitably, we fall down. (laughs) If this passage doesn't expose you, then at best you're sleeping and uh, possibly worse. But we, we sin against someone probably before we leave the parking lot today and you know, definitely in our heart at least as we do the thing where we look across the room or whatever it is, uh, we should be grieved over our sin. We should be grieved over those evil intentions and desires, uh, especially knowing that it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. As often as we fall down in disobedience, we confess our sin, we return to the finished work of Christ. There's no better place to do that than today in the second service as we take communion. Um, and when we're tempted to think, how could I really be a Christian? I, I hear that language a lot. Uh, how could I really be a Christian and just go on sinning like this? We remember God has set His seal on me. God has given His down payment to me. He's good for the rest. He's promised us this inheritance. He's guaranteed it by giving us the Holy Spirit. He will never be taken away. Um, But not only has God given us the Holy Spirit for assurance of our forgiveness and our acceptance with Him, also for prodding, conviction, direction, and power in the direction that He's called us to go, Uh, we can now do what we once could not do. Without the Holy Spirit of God, no man is fit to keep the commands of God. Now, don't hear me say keep them like Jesus kept them, without flaw. Uh, We don't. But even in our disobedience as Christians, God still views us in Christ. So, there's, it's all grace all the time. And we return again and again to the sufficiency of Christ, to the fact that we're covered in Christ, to the fact that God loves us in Christ. He can never love us more or less than He loves us at this moment. And, and we're refreshed in the fact that part of what it means that we have the Holy Spirit never to be taken away is that we have power to live in the Spirit, in, in the newness of life, to walk according to God's commands. Chris, Go ahead. I wanted you earlier when David spoke up, I wanted to say something about the power of words, and you brought it back up. So I was thinking, this is a, for me, it was a good tie-in right here. So first, I want to go back to the seal. Okay. Uh, it's so difficult in the perspective and context of our life today when we send emails and text. Quickly, information is disseminated past and, uh, and discarded. But it wasn't like that for a long time. For a long time, things were handwritten, and they were passed. And when they came from the king, they came with the signet ring, right? So it was marked there. And just to see the seal gave it authority and absolution. In right. fact, it became the dictate. It must be. And, of course, we are ambassadors for the king of kings, so we have the ultimate seal. So that gives me, you know, when I stop thinking about it, I'm 
impressed. Yeah. I'm good. You know, and, and so whether it's the blood seal of the Passover or the blood seal of the, you know, the sealing by the Holy Spirit, we have that. And then to couple into that with the power of words, um, I, I read a lot of and listen to a lot of self-help things. Um, it promotes me to believe that I can do more than mm-hmm. I presently think I can do and to achieve things. Um, I don't achieve them on my own right, but it gives me the courage to move forward in that. Um, and the more applicable thing here is the power of words, you know. So our words, we were talking about earlier with anger and, the, and how they touch other people or our words and how they bless other people. There is such a power to it. I often forget how deep the resonance of my life is on the impact of other people and to myself. Mm-hmm. And if I would remember that more, I would open my mouth less. Mm-hmm. If I did, I would do it with more gentleness. Right. Um, so that's what I was saying about earlier. That's good. That's. Uh, I will say I don't know anything. I'm not well versed in self help. I don't. I've never really read any. So uh, I will say some of the things that I've picked up on that I struggle with are this thought that there is an innate sense in each person that we have the power within. But not talking about the Holy Spirit. Just talking about Correct. you know the power of positive thinking and all that sort of thing. And I loathe that. Um, but. Because I don't, because I don't have that that part of it, you know. Like I, I have found myself not able to overcome my sin with positive thoughts. But I guess this is why this part of it is so refreshing to me. Is but God has overcome my inability with His power and His ability, and um, I'm just talking well, out loud. I, no, I, I yeah. Think as I, as I've grown as a Christian and I read things or I, I listen to things like that, of course, uh, it, you turn the spotlight away from yourself. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm not thinking about myself. Mm-hmm. When I can, uh, when grace abides, mm-hmm. I, I just love, I think one of the things for me coming to church here, it's amazing how much grace fits into my vocabulary mm-hmm. as I grow in this group with you all. Um, but uh, to go back to the point, uh, self-help is about self Mm-hmm. And that is not it. And within the Christian perspective, it is. No doubt. You know, but God, right? Yes. So what is it that we cannot do for the kingdom? Or there's nothing that we can't do for the kingdom because God is with us. Because He's intervened and empowers us. But because you know, and what you said, and what you said is, is great. I mean, if we understood the power of our words, um, you know, we go back to earlier in chapter 4, it talks about, Speaking the truth to one another in love is the primary way that God has seen fit for us to build one another up. And so speaking the truth in love is a powerful tool that we have in our arsenal. But when we throw our words like daggers, it's also powerful. And uh, your point is very good. Let me uh, talk about that kind of... For me, as I thought through this, one thing that I think about we're helpless, right? We're helpless to do what God has called us to do um, without Him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the Psalms. It says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. We need Him. We need His presence. We need His strength. Um, And so there's this constant posture of dependence and help me that is healthy in the Christian life. Uh, But I think I found myself in a you can never be overly dependent uh, on God, but uh, tending more towards that help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, and never getting to that 
faith in what God has done in me and what He has enabled me to do that I once could not do. For example, uh, pretty much every time that I speak anywhere, if I'm, you know, have a pulse, I feel helpless and I want God to help me. Uh, fill in the blank with whatever that is for you, you know, but like where you're very aware of the need for God to provide or else it will be a disaster. Um, loving people well, you know, just Lord, if you don't help me. Um, but if I'm always saying, help me, help me, help me, and then I'm getting like peeved by why, why isn't God doing those things? Here's the difference. Charles Spurgeon used to go into his pulpit every week and he, no doubt all week he had been saying, help me, help me, help me. But when he walked in the pulpit, he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think there's this shift in you're remaining helplessly dependent, but also confident in what God has done and is doing right now in you and through you. There, I was struck reading the book of Acts yesterday by uh, Peter and John and people are so amazed at them because here's these uneducated, untrained men. And what were they amazed at? Their confidence in God. Their boldness. Because they were confident and they were out front going. So, and all that as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking helpless dependence is good. I need to be helplessly dependent. At some point, I think I cross over into doubt. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Without ever actually getting up and walking as He's called me to. So there's a balance in there somewhere, living confidently by faith in the Lord, trusting that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that it will never be taken away, a power to do what He's called us to do. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I love that. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, some quick application, and we'll be done. Um, remember that all this is in the context of put off the old, put on the new, verses 17 to 24. We're just filling in that, putting more detail on that. Um, First thing, you know, just trying to apply this, I think we should really think about and remember that we don't get anywhere without good old-fashioned repentance. And part of that is confessing sin as sin and calling it what God calls it. It's not losing our cool. It's anger, wrath, clamor, fits of rage. It's not talking about someone. It's gossip. It's slander. It's not they get under my skin. It's I have bitterness in my heart towards them. Um... It's confessing our sin as sin and changing our minds about it. That's, that's where repentance starts. It's really the essence of what it means is a change of mind and a change of heart that, um, you know, I'm not going to continue to walk that way. That's not me. That's the old me. Uh, Lord, thank You for Your grace and forgiveness. Grant me grace to obey You. Uh, instill in me this confidence that, that You have sealed me with the Spirit and that I am now enabled and empowered to go the way You've called me to go. Uh, we're grieved over our sin, especially we know it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Well, where do we go from there? A good place to start, name it what God names it. Meditate on it in light of God's grace in Christ. So, if my anger towards another Christian, um, if I'm angry towards another Christian, it's, it's very helpful for me to think about my anger and that person in light of the fact that God has removed His wrath forever away from them. Um, and if I truly understand that His wrath is gone from them, even when they sin, 
He doesn't have any more wrath for them. He, he disciplines His children because He loves them. But how am I going to keep pouring out my anger and my wrath on them in light of that? Or if I truly understand that God has forgiven them of all of their sin, how am I going to withhold forgiveness from them as a sort of punishment until you know, they shape up? That's verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So in, in light of God's kindness and tenderhearted compassion toward us, in light of the fact that God has fully and finally forgiven us in Christ, we're kind to one another. We're tenderhearted to one another. We're compassionate, forgiving one another. How many times? The same number of times that we are forgiven. Every time. So if, if you cannot be kind to that person, if you're not compassionate, um, if you cannot forgive them, At best, it shows that you have not viewed them through this grid of God's kindness and compassion towards them and His removal of wrath from them, uh, His forgiveness of them in Christ. At worst, it shows that perhaps you may not have received God's kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Um, God is in the business of, with those He forgives, creating kind and compassionate, forgiving people. People that put away bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice and that work hard to build others up and not tear them down. How do we go in that direction? Name it what God names it. Meditate on it in light of God's grace to us and His grace to them. And we change our minds about it. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I can now, I can now do what I once could not do. I can walk according to God's commands. Confess your sins to God. He is always faithful to forgive them. He has sealed you with the Spirit so that you can be confident of His forgiveness of your sins and so that you can change to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, Lord, I do pray that the Gospel would run deep. Uh, Lord, that we are people who have remaining bitterness and anger and wrath clamor, slander, malice. Lord, I pray that we would rest and rejoice in Your provisions for us in Christ. Uh, We have no shot at keeping Your commands. Not fully and wholeheartedly, probably for even 30 seconds of our entire life. But we serve the One who did and who gave His life, Your life, Lord Jesus, for us. And we're thankful Uh, We're thankful that You took all of our sin on Yourself. We're thankful that You propitiated God's wrath away from us as far as the east is from the west. We're thankful, Father, that You've adopted us in Your family, that You've set Your seal on us uh, with all of the rights and privileges of the King. And Lord, we do desire in our heart of hearts that You have given us to walk in the newness of life according to Your commands. And so I pray that You would... Empower us by Your Spirit to do just that. Uh, to love You and love others. Uh, to do so with a self-abandoned and gospel-permeated love. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.